Finally, a talk show that helps you defeat mediocre Christianity and walk in genuine friendship with God. Coach and Joe starts right now. Welcome to Coach and Joe. On the way to work this morning, I saw two giraffes, two elephants, <laughs> two donkeys walking down Woodruff Road. We had a men's event here last night, and we're doing 10 days of prayer starting mm. tonight. And By the way, is today the last day of the Hebraic month of Elul? Is today the last day? N- no. Tomorrow, t- tomorrow no, is? D- d- Rosh Hashanah officially starts Friday night. Okay, what's today? Today's uh, Thursday. Thursday. Mm-hmm. So Rosh Hashanah starts tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Elul, anyway. Elul's the month. We're still in the month. Still in the month. Mm-hmm. But we're at the end of the year. Well, anyway, last night we come here to pray, and we're going to be praying for 10 nights, 24-7, just inviting God to, to habitate here at Bridgeway for a city, for a region. We just feel a deep yearning to pray, and we start singing, let it rain. Goodness gracious. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How many men slept on property last night in tents? Uh, there was around 60 guys here last night. How many made it through the night? Um, maybe... 50. <laughs> we lost some along the way. Men's pastor here, Andy Stone, he said, Chad, are you a man or are you a mouse? I said, I'm a mouse. And I went home and got in. It's a pretty incredible invention. It's called a house. <laughs> got in my room and did not get wet last night. It rained so hard at one point last night, I woke up giggling about y'all. I, I bet so. I your, was in a tent. Your air mattress went flat and you in were in five water. minutes. And you were in flat. water. And... Um, Roots and rocks. I could feel the roots and rocks in my back. It was interesting. You're a Marine, though, literally. And there's something wrong with Marines. Mike Jones, a Marine. I'll tell you this. You know it's raining hard when the biggest Marine in this church, he, he, he could waterproof a tent for a living. He got wet. <laughs> How many inches last night? Oh, there had to be three or four inches at least of rain. I mean, it's raining right it now like, like something it. broke. It, it's wild to me when we do events at Bridgeway. It'll rain all the time. What I love watching last night is you see all these tents that set up, which is awesome, but then you see the flavor of the guys that are setting them up and the styles that they have. And then all of these tents, you look into the park a lot, and you see this nice, big <laughs> camper RV. Some guys know how to do it right. I'm going to his. I'm going over there. He's making lunch today. <laughs> I looked over there. I was like, "That ain't camping out." He had hydraulic pumps on the on the chairs, the fold out chairs. It came with two butlers provided with that. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's jump in and talk about dreams. Dream week. We are now wrapping up Dream Week. It's been a good week. We've had some uh, good response online, some pushbacks, some disagreements, some agreements. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Mm. In this city, you probably have a thousand denominations. I love what Chris Valton said one time. He said, you know, I'll, he said he loved the Protestant Reformation. But if you look at the Catholic Church, there was never a split. And now how many denominations are there under the name of Jesus Christ? Goodness gracious. Thousands. And, and I'll tell you what, Bridgeway seems to be a, a constant uh, conversation that just, it, no one's really ever neutral with what we talk about. Either hate it or love it. And, and um, we want to be a place that's in the radical middle. When you're in the radical middle, you take shots from both word stream, spirit stream, and dreams are just kind of weird, let's be honest. But i tell you what's weird. Weird is not only focusing on the supernatural, because I think it's weird to focus on the supernatural. It's also weird to ignore it. Mm. You know, if I'm a person that focuses on angels, I think that's stupidity. But if I'm a person that, in, that ignores the angelic through the scriptures themselves, and then when I experience angelic things in my life, to ignore it. Yeah. Uh, that might be just as dumb, right? Absolutely. Tell me some of your 
favorite odd biblical names? Because like when you do life with people, you never meet someone named Abishai. <laughs> you know, Abishai. You, you don't do that. Um, what are some great biblical names? So you got to go with the classic Methuselah. Methuselah. I mean, I mean, Have you ever met Methuselah I've, Johnson? I've never right. met Methuselah, Methuselah Who Johnson. Who else? I bet you um, got 20 of them. <laughs> well, Daniel was called Belshazzar. I can't even say it. Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Yes. Yep. Obadiah. 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 Nahum. Amos. Amos. <laughs> Have you ever met a Judas, by the way? No. That is a universal thing. No, I've no never offense, met No offense, by the way. Person. If you're named Judas, I'm really sorry. Now, there was a, there was a rock band named Judas. Judas yeah. Priest. Judas Priest, yeah. Well, I want to talk about one of my favorite names in the Bible. Uh, there, I have two favorite names in the Bible. Blastus was a bodyguard of Pontius Pilate, I think, wasn't he? In Acts. Blastus. Yeah. So. His name is Blastus. I stopped one day preaching that passage of like, mm. Blastus? <laughs> oh, I also <laughs> like Shamgar. Yeah, Shamgar is, six. That's awesome. I killed, he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. But one of my favorite names, and I will, I would consider naming one of my dogs this one day, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. That's classic. What if you met someone named Nebuchadnezzar Hemingway Johnson? It, it'd probably take me two, three minutes to even talk to him. All I right, just... tell me, I want you to talk to me like I am seven years old. Let's go felt board here, vacation Bible school. Boom. Who is Nebuchadnezzar? Who is Nebuchadnezzar? All right, his story's in uh, the Old Testament. He's most noted for leading Babylon. So in the, in the biblical narrative around uh, the book of Jeremiah, Isaiah, the prophets, remember they rebelled against God. God raises up a judgment against Israel, and he sends in Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and they come invade Jerusalem. I believe it's, I can't remember the exact date, but I want to say it's 536 B.C. And they come and they, they destroy Jerusalem. They take all the articles, all the silver away, and then they take captives. They take captives back to Babylon. And among those captives we all know is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are a lot of interesting stories in the Bible. Mm. This one to me, when I say interesting, I don't like that word. Um, there are a lot of bizarre, weird yes. stories in the Bible. This ranks up there with them. I mean, you talk about God telling a man that a flood's coming mm. when it hasn't rained. He builds a big old boat, puts animals on it. I love these stories from my childhood. Yes. I love them. This one's... And when I say this one, I don't necessarily just mean Nebuchadnezzar, but I mean Daniel's story. It's bizarre. It's got a lot of twists and turns in it. Remember when he wrestles for 21 days in prayer, right? Yes. Is that when he chose not to eat the king's meat? No, that's in the uh, first chapter. When he's wrestling with prayer, he has, a, he has a, um, an incredible encounter from God, and he's trying to understand the meaning. And it's so, 21 days it took for the answer to come. 21 days. And then the angel said what was going on. I was wrestling against the prince of Persia. It took me 21 days to bring you an answer. So he said, he said, the angel said to Daniel, he said, Michael did. He said, as soon as you set your face to God to pray, your prayer was heard. But it took me 21 days to get here, essentially, because I had to wrestle through the prince of Persia to get here. Man, that's a whole other story and show and a sermon. Okay, but Daniel's story evolves into God gives a very strange king of Babylon mm. dreams. Yes. Multiple scenes, right? Yes. Well, first of all, I got all kind of questions about that. And then number two, Dan I don't want to go too fast. Daniel gives this king an interpretation. Mm. Before, I don't want to get to the main point because it's a pretty cool story how it all ends for Nebuchadnezzar. What, what do you make of God giving uh, a godless king oh. a dream that seems to point 
to not only destiny of a people group, but that man's destiny. Yes. God's given, what do you do with this? He gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream, dreams. Uh. So I love what you just said. He, I mean, when we look at Nebuchadnezzar, he's a pagan, he's a pagan king. He's an unbeliever. And so the question is, does God give dreams to unbelievers? And our natural mind is to say, no, he wouldn't do that. But then when you look at Nebuchadnezzar and the biblical narrative, you got to say, well, wait a minute. If this guy's an unbeliever, he's a pagan king, but God gives him a dream, then, well, yes, biblically it's right there. God can give unbelievers a dream. Where are dreams coming from? Most, if not all the time, most of the time, coming mm -hmm. from God. Basically, here's the interpretation here that I have. God can do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants to do it. Absolutely. A lot of people even, I've, I've read in the past couple of years, their interpretations that, that uh, Donald Trump is like a Cyrus you know, it's funny, it's, we have a hard time believing that God would do something out of what we think he should do. Yep. Remember when he spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament with Balaam? Yes. And God uses Nebuchadnezzar? Not only uses, I mean, he, he's all up in, in the narrative of it. Tell me what you remember about the dreams that God gave Nebuchadnezzar and his interaction with Daniel on these dreams. Absolutely. So there's several dreams that God gave Nebuchadnezzar, but the one of the powerful ones is the, the tree dream. So in this dream Nebuchadnezzar has from God is that basically he sees this magnificent, massive tree, beautiful branches, a bunch of bearing fruit. Um, there's a lot of animals, creatures around the tree, but then a messenger comes down from heaven makes an announcement, makes a judgment, and then the tree is chopped down and the tree falls down and then it's uh, magnified on the beasts of the field of the earth that are walling around in the ground and dream ends. And so Nebuchadnezzar is puzzled. He's like, what does this mean? And there's no one in the land that can interpret that dream. Of course. Sounds like Joseph a little bit. It sounds like Joseph. Do you see the similarities with Joseph and Daniel? Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. But you know, Daniel's a little different. And Daniel is a prophet, but he's a prophetic intercessor. You know, some prophets are more, more geared to be prophecy, um, apostolic, prophetic, however you want to chop that up. But Daniel is more bent towards intercession. So he's an intercessory prophet. And he had a unique, that's what made him different than Joseph. But remember in chapter one, it's him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God says, I gave to them knowledge and understanding to not only understand literature, but to know all dreams and interpretation of dreams. I know the answer is pretty simple, but how do you think Nebuchadnezzar got to Daniel? Why does he know to go to him? God's hands all in it. What happens? Well, Daniel and his, uh, his padres, right, his friends, remember they went on that whole fast journey and they said they refused to eat the king's meat and the guard was afraid. So when the guard saw God moving on Daniel and his friends, he knew that they had skill and in dream interpretations. So when that dream came, God calls up Daniel to go see the king. Where do you think that skill came from? Oh, God. How do you think, though, that if God gives us a skill, do you think it's in our hands to sharpen that skill? Oh, 100%. And I believe the, the whole one talent, two talent, three, four, and five, I think if you don't sharpen the skill that God gives you, I think Jesus really points to that the master will hand it to someone else. You know there's always someone mm. waiting in your shepherd's field. I don't say that to condemn me or scare me or scare you. I'm just saying just because God gives me a skill and a talent yeah. doesn't mean that I can rest in it. I have to sharpen it. You have to sharpen it. First Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love, eagerly desire all the gifts, especially you may prophesy. Yes. Um, I prophesy on a higher level now than I did 10 years ago. I can tell you why. It hasn't been sovereign. Wow. It's been practicing. Even, um, even the ability to interpret Scripture, I've noticed over time, 
read Scripture, understand Scripture. It's the more time I spend in Scripture, the more time I spend with the languages. What I'm trying to say is this. God give you a skill, but you you got to still go at it. you gotta, you got to use it. Well, that's like our Amber and I story to dream interpretation. There were really no books around at the time. And the way we cut our teeth in it is we were having dreams, so we knew to write them down at least. But beyond that, we didn't know anything else to do, but we just kept chipping at it. We kept asking them about it. We kept sitting with them on it. And over time, it's like we begin to grow in it. And I think to your point, it's so true that you have to sharpen the gift. You have to sharpen the skill. And that's what we were talking about um, in our class yesterday with Joseph. And remember, Joseph was in prison for three years and he could have sat on his gift but he used it to interpret the baker and the butler's dreams. And he could have been bitter and not used his gift because of his story, but he still sharpened his, I, his dream skill. I personally think if you don't sharpen your skill, many times it, it'll go to someone else. Shoo. I mean, you look at King Saul. King, King Saul mm. reigned for, what, 42 years, as you were talking about last night. He actually, you can see that he actually starts off in a lower place than he finishes. I mean, God... God didn't want to choose him as king. Mm. They kept pushing him, so he chooses him as king, right? Yes. He starts off more humble than he finished. The whole point is this. I think, I think the major point of life when it comes to gifts, talents, skill, is stewardship. Yes. Uh, if I see my money as God's money, then I just want to steward it. What if we started to see, even in dream interpretation, our skill, okay, God, you give me this skill, maybe even because you asked for it, hello. Ooh. And then what if you just don't sharpen it, it goes dull? I have seen people on the team that I lead grow in the last three years. I'm thinking a couple of people in particular. It's like, whew. The other day I was talking to someone and I'm like, goodness gracious, she's not in the same place she used to be. Wow. So what we're saying is what God gives you, lean into it, sharpen it. Lean into it. So uh, here we go. I love how these stories go. Daniel goes, you're not going to like this interpretation, Mm-mm. Mr. Nebuchadnezzar. Yep. Uh, you are the man. You are the tree. You are that person. You are the tree. Excuse me, what happens? So, yeah, Daniel's bold enough, gives the interpretation, and it all comes to pass. Now, Nebuchadnezzar actually receives it. He receives that rebuke slash interpretation. Now, watch this. This is bizarre to me because he's a a Babylonian king, Mm. and uh, typically it's hard to discern what God's doing in the present, but if he does for the fingerprints of God, you can typically find his hand easier when you look back. Yes. I bet you there came a point in Nebuchadnezzar's life towards the end, because he actually does have a good turn, turn towards yes. it. He couldn't discern it, but his ability to receive a dream was a seed to get Nebuchadnezzar into a good place with God. Is Come on, man. Yeah, I'm true? getting excited. I mean, he, got, he was humble. Yes. And a, a pagan king can receive dreams better than a lot of God's kids can. Yes. He he received it and, and he valued. That, that tells me that Nebuchadnezzar had a value for dreams, even as a pagan king. And God honored that. Because he's the one who went to Daniel in the first place. Exactly. A lot of God's kids, you ignore dreams and say, ah, I really don't believe in that. Man, you better be careful. Jesus uh, slipped into Nazareth without anyone know it. Orthodox Jews are still looking for him to this day. I'm saying God can be subversive. You got to be careful if we think God's going to come in some big kaboom. A lot of times he will just give a gentle dream to see how you're going to steward it and then find the word to match. Okay, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe I'm not nuts. Mm. Maybe I need to take a break on on interpreting Romans 9 all the time and getting my theology just out of Romans 9. Why not go through Acts as the same time you're going through Romans 9 to go, goodness gracious, he's a God of out of the box. Nebuchadnezzar received it. He did show some humility in it. Yes. Now I will say... He's paradox. He is. Because he's a prideful fellow. He goes mad. 
He goes mad. But at the end, Michael, what yeah. happens? Oh, at the end, he comes back and he repents. And he basically has a confession moment and says, the God of Daniel, he is the God most high. He humbles himself. I believe Nebuchadnezzar got saved at the end. That's my personal belief. I believe when you read that language, it literally Nebuchadnezzar confesses and literally accepts God as God. Well, here's the point. God can give dreams to whoever he wants to. Before I go to you, BB, he can give dreams to whoever he wants to. Mm. Uh, we can receive them, we not can receive them, and perhaps God's dreams have multiple purposes, a lot like a yes. diamond. He could have been sowing something in Nebuchadnezzar for even an outcome that actually had nothing to do with anything other than his personal journey. we got to be open to that scripture, yeah. Sam, and dreams can mean a lot. I want it. Man, that's so good, Chad. It's like a diamond. Because yes. on one angle, you see that dream uh, for Nebuchadnezzar's benefit in the end. The goal is to get him closer to God, to get him yeah. you know, rejuvenated, healed up. But then you got Daniel, who now that dream to Nebuchadnezzar actually promotes and elevates Daniel, what he'll need in the progression of his story as he interchanges with the king of Persia and the Medes down the road. And it, it's just God is multifaceted. So he uses one dream to literally touch and, and promote many people around. You know what I love about you? What? You're like a reformed scholar, church of God passion, <laughs> community church love ability and connection with people. You're eclectic. You break the mold. All right, uh, baby, we got some good questions that have been sent in this week. Yes. We've got about six, seven minutes here. Why don't we jump in and ask them? Yes, absolutely. So one that we got this week was, what is the significance in dreaming about your grandparents' house? Michael? Typically, it means, um, okay, any time you have a house dream, again, we always say hold dream interpretation loosely. But a lot of times, a house dream represents your life. So when you look at the context around it, if it's your grandparents, it's usually pointing to something in the past. Um, inheritance could be something about your inheritance, could be something that's highlighting generational curses or blessings at work. Mm -hmm. But it just depends on the context of the dream with your grandparents in it. But if I had a dream with my grandparents' house in it, that would be the first things I begin to ask God is what are you saying to me about my inheritance? What are you saying to me about my past? What are you saying to me about um, the, the bloodline that I come from? Awesome. A lot of times God will give us peek into our past. Matter of fact, Dan Allender's got a book. <clears throat> Dan Allender's called To Be Told. And a mm -hmm. lot of times our history tends to repeat itself. And so he'll show us things about our past that mm -hmm. help us in the present and the future. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. This is a really good one. As parents, which you both are, how do we help our children steward their dreams? Ooh. One of the things that I do is just to show interest and ask a lot of questions. Great teachers ask more mm -hmm. questions great. than give answers. And what I like to do is instead of just getting to like make it a big point out of the dream, I ask them, what do you think it means? Um, I prophesied over my 11-year-old about eight months ago. I said, Jack, Jack, the father shows me that you're going to begin to have dreams and lots of dreams. And it started that night. And uh, Jack, my 11-year-old, has been dreaming a lot this year. And so I try to make it fun, too. And I, I try to, this is just the way I parent, not to spend too much time and not to make it a Ph.D. level. Mm. And you know what I'm noticing about Jack Jack's dreams? It's about the goodness of the Father. Mm. Wow. Last night, by the way, when I laid down, I said, Holy Spirit, I invite you into every area of my heart that has trauma. Mm. Um, I went through some counseling this past week or this week with a professional. And just uh, God's just opened my eyes to never get to a place where you stop boasting in your weakness. And I've been inviting the Holy Spirit into the broken areas of my heart. 
Yeah. He gave me two dreams last night mm-hmm. that, I mean, they're priceless. That's awesome. It, it, what, what I'm trying to say on top of that question is uh, maybe for your kiddos, you just need to pray over them that God will start giving them dreams. Yeah. And don't be surprised when God starts revealing His nature, not only through the Word that you're sharing with them, but dreams as well. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we encourage our kids just by asking them, did you have a dream last night? And just something so simple, uh, we're placing a value on their dream. And expectation. And expectation. For instance, when we moved here, we moved here from uh, North Carolina. We didn't know where we were going to live. Jordan had the dream? And actually, Bethany, our, Bethany. Y- our, our youngest daughter, who at the time was six years old, had a dream of the house that we currently live in. As parents, we could have chucked that off. Oh, she's just a kid. She's just six years old. But we paid attention to the dream. And then when she saw the picture of the house we are moving to, it was the exact house she described. So, so it's like, <laughs> Bethany, God gave you the dream that moved us in here. So she was really excited about that. You know that. what makes people really nervous that watch the show that, that think that dreams are kind of... Um, silly. Mm. It, testimonies make people nervous. Yeah, mm. I, I've I um one of the things that I like to say when I'm in conversations with people that think the charismatic things are just really weird, I'll share three or four true testimonies of healing, mm. and people get really quiet. Why? Why do you think that is? I, I think because it just it it it's like um, remember that Jesus healed the blind man. Yes, and, and the parents were going nuts over it. And uh, and um, actually, the authorities were going nuts over, not the parents. Mm. And the parent, the the man that was blind, finally said, "Look, all I know is all I know. Is all I can tell you. I was blind, now I see." <laughs> that they overcame them by the blood of the lamb, the word, the testimony. I maybe if you've been watching this week and you're actually against dreams, you might need to get in the word a little bit and dig around. There's way more in the word that points to God wanting desiring to connect with us in dreams. Yes. And you might not be experiencing it because honestly, you may be too arrogant to even walk down that mm-hmm. that path. Maybe you need to become like a kiddo. I prayed over my 11-year-old. He began to have dreams and these dreams are helping him connect to God. I wow. watched my, my 11-year-old worship in church a few weeks ago. I'm watching a progression. And man, don't you want a relationship with God where you bond with Him at night? Oh. Not just through intellectual capital by, by what you're reading. You know what I mean? I, I want all of God. Yeah. Let's go. One more question, Bibi. One more. Um, this one is kind of broad and maybe we can touch on it a little bit, but where do you start with particular th- uh, numbers, symbols, colors, if you're having like concurrent dreams with lots of things or just noticing things being highlighted? Uh, the first thing I would say before I go to Michael, hold it all loosely um, I and take your time. Take some years to go through this. I know that two years ago, I, I prophesied at a staff meeting. I, I saw that for the staff and even for the kingdom globally, I saw it being a year of Jeremiah 33.3. Well, then all of a sudden, Lana Valsa releases that word of it, but it being Jeremiah 33.3. We go to Israel. The number of our airplane was 333. We land at the gate, and the number is 33. Wow. Everywhere I go, I saw 333. It was like, what in the world is all this about? I'll be honest with you. Even to this day, two years later, what does all that mean? I think it's God's wink to remind us that He's there. And maybe we're not all supposed to figure out exactly Mm. what it means. Maybe signs and wonders sometimes are there to just keep you like a kiddo. And so I get there is some skepticism in me to make a law out of, well, 11 means this and 12 Mm -hmm. means this. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, there is scriptural evidence. I have a book at home, Numbers in the Bible, that'll blow your mind, written by um, a man a long, long time ago. My advice is to hold it lightly. 
have fun with it and just mm-hmm. know that God does things to just remind you that he's all in your life and to be slow to make a doctrine out of it. Yes. This is exact. Now we do know we, we, five's number of grace. I mean, you can go all in the Bible and five, find some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. I just get a little yes. leery of making a doctrine out of it. I Oh man, I think that's so good. Um, I would say that question too. It's so easy, especially now we have, we do have some good dream book resources out there that people put together. And I think the temptation is to grab those first and go down those catalogs of what everything represents in our symbols. But why I, I don't think that's the best approach because all even those authors, they're getting their sources from the word first. I would recommend go to the Bible itself first. Yes. Because all those symbols and things that appear in your dream, they're gonna they're like parables that Jesus taught. They're gonna have symbolic meaning, but all of them are be rooted in scripture. You'll find it rooted in scripture. It just takes the digging out to go find it. So that would be that would be a huge emphasis I would encourage. It's it, it helps you grow. It really does help you steward it. I have been caught off guard the last five to seven years of taking dreams more seriously. How many numbers are in the Bible? Yes. You know God's as much of a mathematician as he is an artist. Oh man, that's so good. There's one other thing that just hit me. Um, and a, a why not to run to that catalog because God is so personal in your dreams. So he, what he's going to do in your dream language, he's going to personalize it for you. So what a, a symbol may mean over here in a catalog for someone else, it may not mean that to you because he's using something or something different to personally communicate to you. So it's really good to begin to identify what your symbols are and how they personally are connecting to God and what he's speaking to you. And I would stay anchored in the Word. Mm. I've learned more about dreams through the Word than anything else. Yes. Because what the enemy loves to do is to mimic the Father, so stay as far away from stuff like dream catchers and all that weird stuff. And by the way, don't be going to Google to start uh, searching out <laughs> dream stuff. The, the, the enemy will lead you down some really bizarre path. Stick to the Word. Stick to your biblical community. How about this? Use your conscience. And then, and then, how about this? this? Is the big one here? Holy Spirit's called helper. Yep. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Yes, so good. Uh, this morning, I got I interpreted someone's dream, and uh, I just said, "Holy Spirit, would you please help me?" Last night, when I was laying down, I said, "Show me a," I said, uh, "Show me any place in my heart that has trauma." He showed me something he's never showed me before. What I'm saying is, maybe you just need to admit you need a helper. Uh, I'll close with this dream week with this um, interpreting dreams outside of the context of a biblical framework is very. Mm-hmm. Not smart. Yeah. So don't do it. Stay in the word. Stay low and be like Joseph. It meant that uh, dream interpretation belongs to him anyway. I bless you in the name of Jesus. You be childlike. Uh, I bless you. You'd remember that seriousness is not a fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. May you hold these things lightly. Be a kid. Ask God to give you dreams, and then ask God to help you bless others with the dreams. Go in peace. God bless. Thanks for joining us on Coach and Joe, a YouTube talk show and podcast that helps you walk in genuine friendship with God. Check out coachandjoe.com for epic merch, weekly blogs, and ways to help keep us up and running. We'll see you next time on Coach and Joe.